Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Beyond Meat Incorporated 2023rd Quarter Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star then 1 on your telephone keypad. As a reminder, this conference call is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star then 0. At this time, I would like to turn the conference over to Mr. Lou B. Katua, Vice President of Investor Relations. Sir, please begin. Thank you. Good afternoon and welcome. On today's call are Ethan Brown, Founder, President, and Chief Executive Officer, and Mark Nelson, Chief Financial Officer and Treasurer. By now, everyone should have access to our third quarter earnings press release and investor presentation filed today after market close. These documents are available on the Investor Relations section of Beyond Meat's website at www.beyondmeat.com. Before we begin, please note that all the information presented on today's call is unaudited, and during the course of this call, management may make forward-looking statements within the meaning of the federal securities laws. These statements are based on management's current expectations and beliefs and involve risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from those described in these forward-looking statements. Forward-looking statements in the earnings release that we issued today, along with the comments on this call, are made only as of today and will not be updated as actual events unfold. Please refer to today's press release, our annual report on Form 10-K for the year ended December 31, 2019, filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission on March 19, 2020, our quarterly report on Form 10-Q for the quarter ended September 26, 2020, to be filed with the SEC, and other filings with the SEC for a detailed discussion of the risks that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed or implied in any forward-looking statements made today. <clears throat> Please also note that on today's call, management will refer to adjusted EBITDA, adjusted gross profit, adjusted gross margin, and adjusted net income or loss, which are non-GAAP financial measures. While we believe these non-GAAP financial measures provide useful information for investors, the presentation of this information is not intended to be considered in isolation or as a substitute for the financial information presented in accordance with GAAP. Please refer to today's press release for a reconciliation of adjusted EBITDA, adjusted gross profit, adjusted gross margin, and adjusted net income or loss to their most comparable GAAP metrics. And now I would like to turn the call over to Ethan Brown, Chief Executive Officer of Beyond Meat. Thank you, Louie, and good afternoon, everyone. Our Q3 2020 results warrant careful consideration to capture a full and accurate appreciation of our business today. Let me begin by sharing broad observations on the overall impact of the COVID-19 macro environment and our net revenue results and mix, as well as highlight compelling underlying signs of continued momentum and growth. First, in line with the overall food category across retail, we saw a clear and prodigious pattern of consumer panic buying in Q2, followed by moderation in Q3. Second, the recovery in our food service business has lagged the overall food service sector, given our exposure to certain segments that have been disproportionately affected by COVID-19. And third, we continue to contend with COVID-19-related timing delays with large strategic quick-serve restaurants, or QSRs. The above notwithstanding, the fundamentals supporting our growth are alive and well, whether it be our increasing U.S. retail market share, household penetration, buyer rates, purchase frequencies, and repeat rates, 
for increasing points of domestic and international distribution, for increasing rates of new product introduction, and some promising indications that QSR partners may be emerging from what has been an appropriate and understandable delay in new launches during the pandemic. In light of what we view as transitory COVID-related factors, contrasted with enduring strengths of our business, we have, not, we have not blinked in our focus on the exciting long-term growth path ahead of us. As such, we have neither retracted nor delayed our ambitious expansion agenda. Turning specifically to our Q3 performance, we experienced the full brunt and unpredictability of COVID-19 impact for the first time in Q3, producing net revenues of $94 million, a sequential drop from record net revenues of $113 million in Q2. While the effect of COVID-19 on our food service business was offset by the unprecedented surge in retail grocery demand in the second quarter, our third quarter did not enjoy the same level of benefit and was conversely disadvantaged by consumer stock freezers and subsequent moderation in buying following this run-up in grocery spending in the previous quarter. Accordingly, Q3 reflects our second largest quarter of retail sales ever. Our retail revenue growth did less to offset continued and significant COVID-19-related interruptions to our food service revenues, including delays in launches or expansions with strategic partners. To keep all this in perspective, it's important to note that sales of Beyond Meat products were up 63% year-over-year, while the plant-based meat category as a whole was up 41%, contributing to a 270 basis point year-over-year increase in market share for the Beyond Meat brand, according to SPIN's data for U.S. multi-outlet, or MULU, and natural and specialty channel sales. The 12-week period ended October 4, 2020. Further, across MULU, our sales velocity measured dollars per total distribution points was three and a half times higher than the category average and increased 15% year-over-year in the latest 12-week period, even as our points of distribution grew 55% year-over-year. To understand the significance of these trends, keep in mind that velocity typically declines as you add distribution points, meaning more stores while also seeing higher revenues per store is a very encouraging sign with regard to our value proposition to consumers. More generally, COVID-19 considerable impacts on Q3 retail and food service sales notwithstanding, our year-over-year net revenue growth for the nine months ended September 26, 2020, stands at 52.9%, with our net revenues from retail alone up 116.5% for the same period versus a year ago. The positive metrics underpinning this growth further bolster our determination to resist short-term attraction or delay, even if our insistence on investing in our future during a period of disruption puts pressure on our P&L. An additional look at SPINs and IRI consumer panel data provides a clear picture of progress where our U.S. household penetration increased to 5.2% compared to 4.9% as of June and just 2.7% a year ago, where repeat rates increased to 51.9% in September versus 49.3% in June, and purchase frequency increased 8% from June to September, while our buyer rate increased 13% from June to September. In other words, despite challenging macroeconomic conditions and highly variable buying patterns, more households are buying our products. They are buying them more frequently. And on average, they are spending more per household on our products over time. Recent distribution wins include, but are not limited to, incremental placement of Beyond Burger and Beyond Breakfast Sauces patties at Walmart, 
and additional distribution gains for Beyond Breakfast sausage patties at select Kroger, Super Target, Public, and Harris Teeter locations across the nation. Further, we have secured distribution authorization, an exciting and new avenue of retail outlets for us. We are pleased to announce today that as of January 2021, the Beyond Burger will be available at 7,000 CVS pharmacy locations nationwide, and Beyond Meatballs will be available at 5,000 CVS pharmacy locations across the country. We continue to launch new products through the Beyond Meat Rapid and Relentless Innovation Program, having brought to retail markets Beyond Meatballs and Beyond Sausage Links in the last three months to strong retailer acceptance. Lastly, as I mentioned a moment ago, our sales velocities remain well above category averages at a time when we are seeing an increased focus from our retail customers around shelf space optimization decisions. The ensuing actions are expected to favor brands such as ours that continue to drive overall category growth, further increasing our ability to expand our on-shelf presence even within our existing retailers today. The deceleration caused by intensified Q2 buying and freezer loading, followed by moderation in Q3, was felt across our retail category. Looking at a time series of rolling 12-week sales for the plant-based meat category as a whole, According to SPIN's data for U.S. Blue and Natural and Specialty Channels, the category's sequential growth rate peaked at 20% during the height of consumers' panic buying and has since decelerated sharply to a decline of 3% in the 12-week period ended October 4, 2020, for a 23-point negative swing in sequential growth compared to late Q1 and early Q2. This pattern of Q2 freezer loading followed by Q3 moderation not appear to be unique to our category, as evidenced by similar buying patterns elsewhere within the retail grocery space. Turning to international retail, we saw deceleration from Q2 to Q3, as we did here in the U.S., as similar dynamics played out at several of our most important markets. Nevertheless, as we saw domestically, net revenues in our international retail channel also increased considerably, growing 27% year-over-year in Q3 2020. During Q3, we increased our international retail outlets from approximately 27,000 to roughly 33,000. In food service, as noted, our Q3 results reflect continued COVID-19 disruption. Total net revenues for our food service business declined 41% year over year, with our U.S. and international businesses declining 11 and 65% respectively. As I unpack our performance in food service, let me first address the broader non-quick-serve restaurant portion of our business. Recall the quick-serve restaurants or QSR customers make up roughly one-third of our overall food service sales, while the remaining two-thirds consist of sales to a wide variety of customers, including, but not limited to, independent restaurants, smaller regional chains, bars and pubs, lodging venues, casinos, academic institutions, healthcare facilities, corporate catering services, government institutions, convention centers, movie theaters, sports arenas, and other recreation venues. As you can imagine, many of these customers have been disproportionately affected by COVID-19 and have generally experienced a slower rate of recovery relative to the overall food service sector. Although we did see a sequential improvement in overall demand from these customers relative to Q2, their total sales contribution remained well below year-ago levels. With COVID-19 infection rates beginning to pick up again in many parts of the U.S. and abroad, uncertainty around the shape of the recovery in this portion of our business remains elevated. 
provide further context, I'd like to focus a bit more on trends within this broader two-thirds of our U.S. food service business, as captured in NPD data, and then turn to our QSR partners. As a reminder, NPD tracks broadline distribution to U.S. food service outlets. It generally excludes major QSRs, which often utilize direct delivery systems. According to NPD data for Q3, sales of Beyond Meat products declined 34.7% on a year-over-year basis compared to a 37.5% decline for the overall category. In other words, we achieved a slight gain in market share of this NPD tracks channel, even as the entire category remains significantly challenged. Although our outperformance relative to the overall NPD category narrowed in the third quarter versus our recent history, we do believe our results are uniquely impacted by our segment mix, which I alluded to earlier. Unfortunately, several of our highest share segments within NPD tracks channels, including lodging, recreation, full-service restaurants, and business and industry, for example, have been hardest hit by COVID-19. Here, as is the case with our large strategic QSRs, we continue to provide both support and patience as our customers adapt to the changing realities of COVID-19. Turning to the remaining one-third of our food service business, the large QSRs, we saw a sequential improvement from Q2 to Q3 from this portion of our business. However, total sales contribution from these customers also remained well below year-ago levels. The prevailing dynamic defining our work with large QSR customers since the onset of COVID-19 has been a delay in plans to initiate tests or expansions of plant-based meat menu items. Despite the near-term impact on our business, we fully understand and respect the propensity of large customers to maintain menu status quo or streamline offerings during the pandemic. Here again, it is important not to interpret this near-term pandemic-induced drop in activity as a weakening in our long-term value proposition in this critically important space. We certainly do not, and despite the potential for another round of sustained stay-at-home orders, we are seeing strong signs that certain large QSRs are planning for menu additions. As always, we cannot promise any launches for a variety of reasons, including an inability to predict the course of COVID-19 and its impact on launch or expansion strategies within the QSR space. Looking abroad to Asia, we are proudly continuing our partnership with Young China, which recently conducted a new test of the Beyond Burger across 210 KSC locations in six major Chinese cities for a three-week trial. And as I will discuss in a moment, continue to invest in personnel and production capabilities in China. Throughout our operations, we continue to invest in the business to support current and future growth. First, we recently completed the acquisition of one of our former co-manufacturing facilities in Pennsylvania. The capability to produce a certain portion of our finished goods completely in-house is a key part of a longer-term strategy to reach price parity with that of animal protein. We intend to use our new Pennsylvania facility to not only reduce production costs, but to pilot processes and products, including our new design continuous production lines, and perform initial scale-up trials of new products. With the addition of this wholly-owned production capacity, we are also welcoming some 180 employees to the Beyond Meat family. I should note that we will continue to align ourselves with best-in-class co-packing partners here and abroad and expect the acquisition of our new Pennsylvania facility to only strengthen these relationships, as we'll be able to do important product scaling work in-house before transferring certain downstream activities to these partners. Internationally, we continue to invest in production capacity in China and in the EU. As you know, in early September, we announced our signing of an agreement with Yaxing, 
Economic and Technological Development Zone to develop two manufacturing facilities in China, including a state-of-the-art production facility of which the size, sophistication, and sole dedication to plant-based meat we believe will be unique. This larger facility was preceded by our first production plant, where work is well underway to get it ready for production trials before the end of this year. The second facility is expected to be a significantly larger purpose-built plant, and once completed, expected to be one of the largest dedicated plant-based meat factories in the world. Similarly, work is well underway at our recently acquired manufacturing facility in the Netherlands, which also remains on track to begin production trials before year-end. And we are continuing to build out strong teams in both regions. Finally, a word of appreciation for all our talented team members working in operations around the globe. These essential employees work tirelessly to meet demand within a difficult operating environment, replete with strict mandates around social distancing, masks, and sanitation requirements related to COVID-19. Added to these conditions, the highly variable fulfillment requirements given unusual consumer buying patterns that are present in the COVID-19 economy. And it should become clear why we are so grateful for their work ethic and sacrifice. We continue to make strong progress in research and development despite the continued impact of COVID-19 on our ability to operate at full scale at the Manhattan Beach Project, our innovation center here in Los Angeles. Our scientists, engineers, and technicians continue to work a two-shift model that better supports social distancing. I can't emphasize enough how proud I am of the team's productivity despite myriad pandemic-related impositions. In addition to the new retail innovations we recently launched, the team continues to make great progress on our next iteration of Beyond Burger, and I'll have more to share with you about that soon. Moreover, these talented women and men continue to work in deep partnerships with our QSR partners. Until you've worked a full shift with masks, it's hard to fully grasp the difficulty of performing challenging research and development day after day in these conditions. As with our operations team, my hat's off to them. In keeping with our strategies to make our products as widely accessible as possible, we launched a direct-to-consumer, or DPC, e-commerce site in late August. Consumers across the contiguous United States can now order a variety of our products with a click of a button, enjoying two-day shipping on each order. We're proud to utilize recyclable shipping boxes and UPS carbon neutral shipping as part of this initiative. While DCC will likely remain a negligible portion of our overall sales in the near term, we are nonetheless pleased with the effort as it symbolizes our commitment to meeting the consumer wherever they prefer to shop. Overall, with regard to our availability, Beyond Meat is now available in approximately 122,000 retail and food service outlets globally up approximately 10,000 locations, or 9%, since the end of June, with the majority of that increase coming from our international retail outlets. The products are now also available in over 80 countries across the U.S., up from over 50 a year ago. I would like to now comment briefly on our margin performance, which Mark will expand on in greater detail shortly. Our results reflect a combination of ongoing COVID-19 challenges, as well as deliberate decisions we made for the benefit of our long-term strategy despite the understanding that these would negatively impact our profitability metrics in the near term. On a year-over-year basis, our adjusted gross margin of 28.9% in the third quarter of 2020 was down 670 basis points as compared to Q3 2019. Of this variance, over 500 basis points is attributed to price and mix, largely driven by increased trade discounts primarily, but not exclusively, in retail. 
The decision to opportunistically increase our promotional intensity holds strategic importance as we communicated to you in the past and is aimed at driving increased household penetration for our brand. According to the SPIN's IRI consumer panel data I referenced earlier, these tactical actions appear to be working, with our latest U.S. household penetration nearly doubling versus a year ago and increasing roughly 23% just over the last two quarters. Our above referencing systems on continuing to serve long-term growth ambitions naturally impacted our P&L during this period of disruption, where our operating margins suffered in the face of lighter net revenues. We believe seizing on the immense global opportunity within plant-based meats over the years to come requires a clear focus on long-term strategy and a willingness to make near-term sacrifices in order to establish a much stronger position for our brand over the long run. Finally, and before I turn the call over to Mark, I'll provide some thoughts on the competitive environment. We watch entrants carefully and see the level of investment and interest in the category as a generally positive development in the long-term growth of the plant-based meat category. In this environment of significant spend by new and incumbent players, we are seeing, as mentioned, our velocity increase, our key panel data metrics moving in the right direction, including, as noted, the number of households buying our products, the spend per household, the frequency of purchase, and repeat rates, all increasing. Strong retailer and consumer interest in our new SKUs and continued expansion of our points of distribution, both domestically and abroad. Lastly, we continue to see solid growth in the plant-based meat category, above and beyond that of animal protein, and importantly, our brand continues to outpace the category growth. With that, I'd like to now turn the call over to Mark Nelson, our Chief Financial Officer, who will walk us through our third quarter of financial results in greater detail. Thank you, Ethan, and good afternoon, everyone. As Ethan described a moment ago, we experienced a meaningful deceleration in our financial performance during the third quarter, causing our results to fall short of our expectations. However, we believe this was in large part attributable to challenges associated with COVID-19, which we view as a transitory factor. The underlying fundamentals of our business continue to give us confidence about Beyond Meat's future, notwithstanding the fact that near-term volatility will likely remain elevated as the shape and impact of the global pandemic remains uncertain. When you peel back the layers of our Q3 performance, certainly the 39% year-over-year revenue growth across our retail channel was solid. But as you might expect, demand in our food service channel, while up 78% sequentially from last quarter, remained significantly weaker than the prior year offsetting most of the growth we saw in the retail channel. Operationally, we reacted admirably to mitigate much of the impact of this demand shift by reducing excess capacity and thereby minimizing inventory charges during this softened demand period. Going forward, our near-term goal is to drive growth within our retail channel while continuing to manage through the difficulties in food service and standing ready to capitalize in that channel as the pandemic subsides and consumers regain confidence in away-from-home consumption habits. With that broader perspective shared, let me now walk you through our third quarter financial results in a bit more detail. Net revenues in the quarter were $94.4 million, up 2.7% compared to the third quarter of last year. In aggregate, Growth in net revenues in the third quarter was driven by 
an 11% increase in volume sold, partially offset by lower net price per pound, due mainly to our continued strategy to drive incremental consumer trial by offering more aggressive pricing and promotional programs. To a lesser extent, net price per pound was also affected by a product mix as we sold a far greater amount of large pack items in retail, primarily in the form of our club store pack and the cookout classic versus the year ago period. Overall, net price per pound was $5.33 in the third quarter of 2020 as compared to $5.74 in Q3 2019. Taking a closer look at our distribution channels, retail net revenues increased 39% year-over-year, while food service net revenues decreased 41% versus the third quarter of 2019. In retail, our volume of products sold increased 46% year-over-year, driven by continued expansion in the number of distribution points, both domestically and abroad, as well as higher sales velocities at existing retail outlets and contribution from new products. As I mentioned a moment ago, net revenue growth in our retail business was partially offset by price, owing to higher trade discounts, as well as changes in product mix. In food service, we continued to experience significantly lower levels of demand relative to a year ago, albeit meaningfully improved on a sequential basis. Our food service net revenues declined 41% year-over-year, with non-QSR locations generally faring worse than larger chain QSR customers. As Ethan mentioned, Excluding our partnership with large QSR customers, our food service business has broad exposure to certain formats that have been disproportionately affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. Among others, these include independent restaurants, fast casual dining, bars and pubs, lodging, academic institutions, movie theaters, sports arenas, and convention centers. As you can imagine, and not surprisingly, many of these venues are experiencing a slower rate of recovery than the broader food service sector, which is complicated further by recent upticks in the rate of spread of COVID-19, both domestically and abroad. Sales to our international customers across retail and food service channels represented 17% of our net revenues during the quarter, compared to 32% in the year-ago period. Gross profit during the quarter was $25.5 million, or 27% of net revenues, compared to $32.8 million, or 35.6% of net revenues in the third quarter of 2019. Included in the cost of goods sold during the quarter was $1.8 million of expenses directly attributable to COVID-19, including $1.1 million in inventory write-offs and reserves, associated with with food service products deemed to be unsaleable, and $0.7 million in product repackaging costs as we leveraged additional opportunities to repurpose certain food service items for retail channels. Excluding these items specifically attributable to COVID-19, our adjusted gross profit was $27.3 million, 
or 28.9% of net revenues during the third quarter of 2020. On that basis, as compared to our prior year gross margin of 35.6%, the 670 basis point decrease in adjusted gross margin was primarily driven by lower net price realization as a result of higher trade discounts and product mix, and to a lesser extent from lower absorption of fixed overhead costs as we scaled back production to draw down inventory levels. Operating expenses totaled 44 million or 46.6% of net revenues in the third quarter of 2020 as compared to 29.2 million or 31.8% of net revenues in the year-ago period. The year-over-year increase in operating expenses primarily reflects increased headcount to support our long-term growth initiatives, increases in marketing investments, higher share-based compensation expense, investments in international expansion, and continued investments in innovation. Net loss during the third quarter of 2020 was 19.3 million, or 31 cents per common share, as compared to net income of 4.1 million, or 6 cents per common diluted share in the third quarter of last year. Adjusted net loss, which excludes 1.8 million in costs attributable to COVID-19, namely inventory write-offs and reserves and product repacking activities discussed previously, was a loss of 17.5 million or 28 cents per common share during the third quarter of 2020. Adjusted EBITDA was a loss of 4.3 million or negative 4.5% of net revenues in the third quarter of 2020 compared to adjusted EBITDA of 11 million or 12% of net revenues in the year ago period. Now looking at our balance sheet and cash flow highlights, the company's cash and cash equivalent balance was $214.6 million, and the total debt outstanding was $50 million as of September 26, 2020. For the nine months ended September 26, 2020, net cash used in operating activities was $42.7 million compared to $18.3 million for the prior year period. Capital expenditures totaled $38 million for the nine months ended September 26, 2020, compared to $9.5 million for the prior year period. The increase in capital expenditures was primarily driven by continued investments in production equipment and facilities related to domestic and international capacity expansion initiatives. As Ethan mentioned, We recently completed the acquisition of a former co-manufacturing facility in Pennsylvania. Over time, we expect bringing this manufacturing in-house will lower our cost of production while increasing our supply and U.S. distribution capabilities. As a reminder, this acquisition complements our ongoing capacity expansion projects in Europe and China, all of which collectively advance our long-term strategic goal of closing the price gap of our products relative to animal protein. Finally, with respect to our 2020 outlook, and given the ongoing uncertainty regarding the duration, magnitude, and effects of COVID-19 on our business and those of our customers, our 2020 guidance remains suspended at this time. 
We will continue to periodically reevaluate this position as broader macroeconomic conditions continue to evolve. With that, I'll now turn the call back over to the operator to open it up for your questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have a question or comment at this time, please press star then 1 on your telephone keypad. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, simply press the pound key. Again, if you have a question or comment at this time, please press star then 1 on your telephone keypad. Our first question or comment comes from the line of Alexia Howard from Bernstein. Your line is open. Good evening, everyone. Hey there. Can you hear me? Okay. How are you? Great. Yes. Good, good. Um, so uh, I guess my, my uh, question and follow-up um, would firstly be, I know you're not providing guidance for the fourth quarter, but could you give us some idea about how the retail side of the business uh, and the food service channels are trending as we look out into the fourth quarter? Do you expect a sequential improvement uh, on either side of the business? Um, and also what's happening internationally, so just some sense of, of how things are trending. And then I guess my second follow-up question would be, given the, uh, the news about the McDonald's plant, uh, McPlant um, platform that came out this afternoon, could you talk a little bit about what your role uh, might be in that platform and uh, how you expect that to play out over time? Thank you very much, and I'll pass it on. Sure. Sure. Thanks for the question. And, and just before I, I delve into the, the specifics on that, I do want to just recap and reiterate uh, where I think um, this quarter uh, ended up and why. I think the headline really is that food service remains highly challenged. Like if you look at our Q4 2019 um, sales into that sector, we were about 58 million net. Then you come to today, we're about 24.4 million net. And so there's clearly something going on. Uh, around COVID where um, folks that, that were drawing on our products uh, were, were not doing so at the same clip um, as we uh, are into the third quarter. Um, that does not mean that it's not a very healthy uh, and long-term uh, uh, segment for us. And in fact, I'll share reasons why um, it is in fact the case that we'll, we'll see some, some good recovery there, we think. And then second, if you look at what happened in the retail, that was largely masked in the second quarter uh, by stockpiling that was going on as consumers uh, felt that the stay-at-home orders were going to be a very enduring part of our economy. Um, and so that stockpiling that masked the weaker food service activity in the second quarter simply didn't occur in the third quarter and was, was in fact, um, uh, uh, exacerbated somewhat um, by the fact that freezers were full uh, across homes uh, throughout the country. And so you then saw the full brunt of this decline um, in, in the food service sector. Um, that said, we remain really encouraged um, around the performance of the brand, particularly in retail and in some of the uh, activities that we'll talk about coming up in food service. But if you look at that household penetration, the buyer rate, the uh, purchase frequency, and particularly the repeat rates, uh, those are all things that any brand would be really happy to have. And then you look at the market share, and our market share increased, you know, 270 basis points on a year-over-year -year basis. So we're we're, we're looking, uh, I think, quite strong uh, in in those areas. Um, and then lastly, on 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 the two questions um, on 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 retail and food service, as we head out of the third quarter and into the fourth, you know, are we seeing signs of recovery? 
Um, we, we have really shied away and want to caution against providing any guidance for the fourth quarter. But one thing that I can share is that this has been such a year of unpredictable buying patterns by the consumer, and that has continued into the fourth quarter in the sense that some of the activity we've seen early uh, is much uh, more in keeping with what we would have seen over the summer buying months. So there's been some trading out of consumption uh, given the stockpiling and then the inventory rundown uh, as we head into the fourth quarter. But, I, again, I want to be really clear that I, I don't want that data to be used to uh, create any forecast for uh, the fourth quarter because it's simply too variable. But we are seeing that where buying is happening in large lumps uh, versus uh, maybe the more even uh, distribution that we've seen in the past. And on the food service side, uh, we are seeing some uh, recovery uh, there, um, uh, but it's too early to tell. And, and with, the, uh, with, with, with COVID uh, continuing to, to spike up in the country, um, we can't offer guidance uh, in that category. But you will see us active with some of the large QSR partners that we've talked about uh, in the in the in the coming period, um, provided that COVID uh, doesn't overtake the economy again, so I think overall we're feeling very optimistic about where we're headed, um, and, uh, and and look forward to to sharing uh, some good results. If you look at where this quarter ended up, you know from the second quarter we were about what 113 net, and now about 94, and this is in a period of an extreme pandemic. So we we think we're doing pretty well, and we look forward to to continuing to grow. The second was around the, the, the McPlant uh, question. And, um, you know, as I watched that unfold today, I was reminded of the Mark Twain quote that um, reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated. <laughs> you know, uh, our, our relationship with McDonald's is, is, is good. It's really strong. Uh, our work there on behalf of what they're doing uh, continues. Um, and, you know, I uh, really want to defer to our large strategic customers about what they want to share about their supplier base and what they want to share about their launch plans. I don't want to get ahead and, be, and, and insert ourselves to the point where uh, uh, we're dominating the headlines of their investor day. So I respect their decision to, to refer to the big plant uh, uh, platform in a generic sense. Um, you know, we are, we are working very closely with them on a number of matters. Um, and I think that, that folks, um, you know, just have to continue to be patient. Um, but I feel, as I've said in the past, good about that relationship and good about what we're contributing to the McPlant uh, platform. Great. Thank you very much. I'll pass it on. Yep. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question or comment comes from the line of Robert Moscow from Credit Suisse. Your line is open. Hi, thanks. Um, Ethan, I think you, you answered my first question um, by referring to consumer uh, retail activity maybe reaccelerating uh, in fourth quarter. Uh, does that assure you, I suppose, that that consumers have um, that, that that what they have in their own freezers is now normalized, and maybe they, you know, that that all that excess inventory from panic buying is is now over. And can you also give us some assurances that, that the inventory at retail uh, is also uh, normalized, that it's not – that what we saw in third quarter was not too much inventory at retailers? Uh, do, you have any, do you have any visibility as to what that looks like right now? Yeah, so we're, we're not seeing buying behavior at the customer level. At the, and I mean customer, I mean the grocer level that would suggest that um, they're still trying to burn through uh, a lot of, of inventory. Um, 
they were pretty quick to react, I think, to the consumer downturn in, in, in buying that occurred in the third quarter. Um, and so I think they're pretty well calibrated. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like I said, we had some pretty good returns in the beginning part of this, this quarter, and, and I think we just have to, to wait and see what the rest of the quarter looks like. It's such a variable year. I'm, I'm, I'd be, uh, uh, I think I'd like to avoid offering guidance for, for, for the quarter any more specific than that. Okay, and, and just to follow up, though, um, I mean, we get Nielsen data uh, lagged, so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, there's a few weeks I haven't seen, but but it doesn't show, at least through October 7th, I think, uh, a, a, a dramatic pickup. You know, growth is decelerating a little bit, maybe down to 42%, still strong, but, but there's no, like, rebound. Um, are, are you saying that that as you look towards the end of October, that it, it does go higher? Um, you know, I think I think some of what happened is, uh, to, to just to, to try to give you a little more detail, is the end of the third quarter, we did see a lot of buying uh, occur from the retailer base, and then we filled a lot of those orders uh, in the first part of, of October. So I don't think it's matching directly with the Nielsen data that you're seeing. Um, and so, uh, but but we we're, again we're we're seeing a pretty strong beginning. Uh, whether that'll persist throughout throughout the rest of the quarter, we we just can't say. Um, okay, and and I, I know you you don't want to comment on on what McDonald's plans are, um, but uh, I, I think it, is it fair to say that in general um, you're okay with your product being on the QSR menus, um, whether you're, whether or not your brand gets gets mentioned on the menu or not, uh, is, is that is, are you kind of I'm sure you'd prefer one over the other, but are are you okay if it doesn't show up on the menu? If you're buying right, um, yeah, I would say not actually. I, I think given the um, consumer resonance with our brand um, and uh, and just the the momentum we have with consumers, uh, the, the brand that we've established, we think it deserves to be up there uh, on the menu. And, and uh, nearly all of our QSR partners have done that and benefited as a result. And, uh, and if you look at how the PLT was positioned, uh, it was pretty clear in all um, sales collateral and, and signage uh, that, that it was with the Beyond Meat burger. Now, we, we can't specify uh, or speak for McDonald's to how uh, we may interplay with McClant Burger, but uh, we clearly think it'd be in everybody's best interest to to use our brand, and I would resist efforts to to not to not use it. Okay, uh, thanks for the clarity. Mm-hmm. Thank you for the questions. And just on the on the on the issue around the, the velocities, I mean, I, I'm looking at you know across our, our Mulu and and, uh, and and other data, and 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 we're seeing um, even as we dramatically expand points of distribution, I think we've grown by about 55 percent year over year. We're still seeing that we're, uh, our velocity is about three and a half times higher than the category average. And on a year-to-year basis, they're up about 15% over the last 12-week period. So you know, there, there's, there's put to takes, and there's going to be differences uh, depending on the skew and whether a particular competitor is, is going heavy on promotions. But overall, you know, that 15% rise in, in velocity year-over-year coupled with you know, a 55% increase in distribution uh, is pretty hard to do. 
Uh, and so we, we feel pretty good about that, that even as we expand uh, in, in our total distribution, you're seeing a higher overall level of velocity. And I think that speaks to some of the underlying strength of the brand around the household data that we shared. You know, I think we're up at now 5.2% uh, um, uh, up from 2.7 a, a year ago on, on household penetration. But what's also happening there, which I find so alluring and, 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 and encouraging for our brand, uh, is the buyer rate. Uh, since June, you know, even in this period of crisis, right, is 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 rising, uh, and so you have great economic challenges across the nation, uh, and you have this tremendous disruption in 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 retail buying patterns as well as in food service engagement, and yet what are households doing? They're buying more Beyond Meat. So if you look at, I think our ring in uh, for buyer rate in September was about 36 and a half bucks. Uh, that's up from $32 uh, in, in, in June. Uh, so from uh, uh, September to June, you're seeing that very large increase in, in buying across households. And I obviously look at all the scouting reports on, on, on animal protein and on our competitors, and those numbers are great uh, on a relative basis. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Rob. Yep. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, in an effort to answer as many questions as possible, we ask that you please limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. Our next question or comment comes from the line of Brian Spillane from Bank of America. Your line is open. Hey, uh, thanks, operator, and uh, good afternoon, everyone. Um, so, so, Ethan, I guess yeah. my question is just um, as we kind of transition from summer to fall, you know, you spent the summer, um, you know, putting some some product into into the freezer in addition to having product yeah, burgers in the um, in the in the meat case, and I guess you know now that we're past barbecue season, uh, can you just talk a little bit about you know how or if the merchandising at all changes between as we kind of move into the into the fourth quarter and first quarter, and if there's anything we should be thinking about there in terms of you know, retail inventory or, you know, does that cause any sort of disruption in terms of, of revenues as you move, um, as we move through the fourth and, and first quarter? And then maybe just connected to that, um, seasonality, right? I know demand's been pretty strong, but is, are we still, do you still see kind of seasonality around grilling season or as household penetration has grown, uh, are you, are you actually seeing it's less seasonal than maybe it had been the last couple of years? Yeah, so I, I was going to answer your first question with, with, with that um, uh, uh, perspective that, that you know our, our brand uh, does uh, have some seasonality to it um, around grilling season, and but as as we continue to offer new SKUs to the public, I think that will be dampened somewhat. Um, so uh, while while we expect to see seasonality um, exert itself o over the course of the of the the, the, the fourth quarter. Uh, the buying patterns again have been so unusual for this year. Uh, we can't say with any precision about you know what that effect will be. It may be that you know uh, some of the the buying that we didn't see in the third would occur in the fourth, and maybe that doesn't happen, and the seasonality is fully expressed. Um, but uh, one thing I do want to talk about um, as we think about uh, the, the fourth and first quarter is you know as as I've always said, Beyond Meat is an innovation engine at its core. That's what we do. Our core asset is an understanding of, of protein and, and lipids from plants and getting them to behave in the structure of, of animal protein and they provide the sensory experience that consumers are so used to. And so I'm, I'm very pleased to announce that we're going to be launching uh, our uh, Beyond Burger 3.0. And uh, 
that I could not be more excited about. You know, we, we have always uh, uh, maintained that our brand stands not only for the ability to do something great for the globe from a, an environmental perspective, uh, animal welfare, et cetera, climate, but also for your own body and your own health. And so when, when people think about Beyond, they should be thinking about you know, tremendous great taste that we're striving every day to, to be closer and closer to the animal protein equivalent, but also this is going to help me lead a healthier lifestyle and this is going to help me do something good for the planet. Uh, and this burger delivers on those promises. It, it, we've done extensive consumer testing on it. It did better than our current version, which is always something we want to do. We want to make our current version obsolete. It did absolutely uh, uh, very well against uh, competition and started to scratch a little bit on some characteristics around 80-20. So something I'm, I'm excited to get out, uh, and it represents, I think, uh, continued growth for us. And so... You know, when that hits, uh, you know, we're not going to say exactly right now, uh, but we'll make an announcement soon, and, and we think that'll have some impact as well uh, as we talk about the, the, the fourth and, and uh, particularly the first quarter. Okay, great. Thanks, Ethan. Thank you. Our next question or comment comes from the line of Ken Goldman from J.P. Morgan. Your line is open. Hey, good afternoon. Um, hey, Ken. How you doing? Good. How are you? Thanks. Um, doing well. Thanks. I, I um. I think you described McDonald's wars today a little bit more benignly um, than I think some investors might see it. They, they, they really said um, that they were kind of going on their own. And it was my impression, you know, based on Beyond's, you know, I guess quasi-public statement that you didn't like that, where right? you kind of said, no, we're collaborating with them. And that was, I, I imagine, not something you were planning on doing. So, you know, you're, right. to me, I think you're spooking people a little bit, right? You're not telling investors anything substantial, about what potentially right. could be your biggest biggest growth driver. So we're kind of right. left assuming the worst, that you're not producing anything at all, you're just licensing some know-how sure. maybe. Um, I guess is there anything you can give us to sink our teeth into today that helps us understand your relationship with this customer? Sure. No, it's a fair and, and it's a good question, and, and that's always <laughs> you're asking the right one here. Um, yeah, I mean, I as I've said, um, you know, I really want to, like, I, I, I value so much these relationships with the customer. And, you know, as much as I want to provide assurance to the street and to all the people that have helped us over the years that things, you know, are such in, in such a way, uh, it's really their show. And uh, if I look, think, if, I, if I have a supposition about why they uh, were more general in their comments today, than my own Ethan Brown observation, not, not uh, Beyond Meat or, or McDonald's, is that this is their day. You know, it's their investor day, and news of something more broadly with Beyond Meat within the McPlant platform, I think, would have been disruptive to their own desire to stay on message. Um, and so I respect that and understand that, and I really need to leave it to them to, to make further comments about the, 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 wh how we plan to interact with, with McPlant. I will say this. Everything I've said is true, that we have uh, developed – very long-term relationship with them. We worked very hard on developing the burger uh, that will um, that was in the PLT and and it will be in the McPlant. But it's really up to them to say the extent of that, where it's going to be, how it's going to be there. But everything that I've been doing and our research team has been doing is marching toward a particular outcome with them, and I feel good about that. Okay, um, I'll leave it there. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Our next question or comment comes from the line of Rupish. Parikh from Oppenheimer. Your line is open. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my question. So I wanted to ask a little bit more about your retail distribution 
So do you worry at all about over-distribution at this point on the retail side? So it was interesting to hear just about your uh, planned CVS launch as well later this year. Yeah, uh, no, you know, what I worry uh, more about um, is, and this is just a sort of in, uh, embedded impatience within our company, is that we know the consumer wants different and additional SKUs from us. Uh, you know, we know they want to have the beyond uh, option uh, at different eating occasions through, throughout the day. And so the sense of urgency that we feel about let's get additional SKUs out there is very real. And, and, and so, um, you know, we're scratching the surface of what we could be distributing in these large grocers, whether it's Kroger or Walmart, uh, et cetera. And so, um, you know, they're really our foot is in the door, uh, but that's about it. We have the opportunity to proliferate up to, you know, 25, 30 SKUs in these stores. Um, and you'll hear from us uh, in, in the coming months on, on some exciting developments in that regard. Um, but you know, our goal has always been, whether it's the reference McDonald's discussion we just had or some of the other partnerships we've had, is to meet people where they're buying. And you know, CVS has now become a place where people are picking up some household uh, uh, grocery goods. So we want to be there, um, and, uh, and we want to do really well there. So you know, having a 7,000 new locations where someone can go get a Beyond Burger uh, at, at CVS, having the 5,000 new locations at CVS where someone can get the Beyond Meatballs, you know, that's great, and we plan to try to add to that distribution with other products that are appropriate for that channel. Um, so I really do view this as we're, as we're just getting started. Okay, great. I'll pass it along. Thank you. Hmm? Thank you. Our next question or comment comes from the line of Ben Fuhrer from Barclays. Your line is open. Hey, uh, good evening, uh, Ethan. Uh, Mark, thanks for, thanks for taking my question. Sure. Um, I wanted to dig a little bit into the dynamics on the international market, both retail and food service. So um, if we look at the, at least the European market, but to a certain degree the Asian market, at least during what was the last quarter, a lot of food service locations were actually not locked down because there was like the first wave of COVID and then everybody was able to go out again and I was expecting there would be a more meaningful uptick here, but we're actually, if we, we look at it on, on the food service side, it was just marginally better than during the second quarter when the most of the impact from COVID-related restrictions happened um, on the food service side in, for example, markets like Europe, but also partially in Asia. And in the same line, if we look at retail, it was obviously very strong into the second quarter, um, but there's a meaningful deceleration on a, on a sequential basis into free queue. So I was just wondering if you could elaborate a little bit about the dynamics um, both markets, uh, food service and retail, both segments, food service and retail, on the international uh, side, just to understand a little bit uh, better where we're heading on um, in, in coming quarters in those uh, markets. Yeah, sure. So on the on the food service side, um, you know, if you look at the distribution of our sales into that channel, is something I talked about in my opening comments, and I'll give a little bit more detail here. Um, you know, we were. Uh, we're sort of two-thirds or so uh, of our exposure is to independents and institutions and places that are just either closed or operating at a, um, at a much diminished capacity. Uh, and then you have the strategic uh, market, which is about a third of our, of our uh, distribution. And those are you know, the ones that are doing quite well with drive-through and, and have been able to streamline menus and, 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 uh, and, and cash flow, et cetera. Uh, but we're not participating as much in that part of the um, uh, food service category. So, so even internationally, right, we're not participating in that 
recovery. If you look at some of the tests that we've done in the past that have done well but are not being extended yet uh, due to the kind of uncertainty around COVID, uh, it's a lot of those locations. And so, um, you know, whether it's uh, you know, Pizza Hut in, in um, Puerto Rico or um, KFC in China or Taco Bell in China, um, you know, there's a uh, testing going on, but I think folks are waiting for a resumption of, of full economic activity uh, before they start to really add things into the menu. So that's happening in the U.S. and it's happening uh, in the EU as well, and we get that. Uh, there's just complexity uh, uh, to the menus already, uh, and when you're trying to uh, stay afloat in a pandemic, uh, holding off on, on new additions we, we think uh, is, is understandable. On the retail side, um, you know, we were pleased to see a 27% increase uh, in international retail uh, uh, sales in, in the quarter, and um, you know, it provided that uh, this the uptick in, 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 in COVID globally doesn't shut that back down. We think we're seeing some good uh, good recovery there. Um, I don't know if you guys want to add to that. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Our next question or comment comes from the line of Adam Samuelson from Goldman Sachs. Your line is open. Uh, yes, thank you. Good evening, everyone. Um, so um, I guess my question is really on, uh, just on, on the cost side, and so two parts. One, just want to get a sense of having that co-packing uh, investment, and in, from reading the Q right, that was $14.5 million. Um, just trying to sense a sense of kind of what that can do to, to the unit costs when you insource and you're not paying that co-packing fee at least for a portion of your production. And, and then second, on uh, the protein isolate purchase commitments, it looks like the, the purchase commitments for the fourth quarter and the purchase commitments into 2021 are substantially in excess of the amount of you've consumed uh, both in third quarter and, and year to date. And just I know there's a shelf life, but, I mean, it would imply that revenues are well over doubling, if I'm understanding the math here right. Um, and I just want to get a, just some comments on how you look at the, uh, the, the ability to consume those, those purchase commitments. Thank you. Sure. Uh, thanks, Adam. So you, you, when we look at uh, the internalization of uh, that that, uh, that back end, the, the, the forming and mixing and um, packaging, elements of the product. It, it is a pretty significant piece of our cost. And so we look at um, internalization through this acquisition as a, as a great way to, to offset that, bring that cost in-house, and then leverage that to achieve um, a better cost profile. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very um, attractive um, uh, payback for us, both in a uh, you know, period uh, payback, but also in a uh, kind of unit cost perspective. We don't want to identify it specifically, but um, it, it's a compelling argument to start looking at uh, internalization of some of this back end. Um, and it's, uh, it, we're excited about it. We're really excited to, to uh, work with 180 uh, new employees and really uh, start to leverage this. Um, so, you know, we'll update more as we go, but um, uh, needless to say, it's one of the uh, bigger pieces of our cost component right now, and so it's a great uh, thing that we could work on uh, to take cost out. Um, on pea protein isolate, uh, you know, we we do um, keep a very close eye on that. Um, our our um, 
uh, our contracts with suppliers of the pea protein isolate. Um, we work with those suppliers and make sure um, you know that protein is is current. Um, it typically has a, a two-year shelf life, so we work to make sure any inventories we have are rotating very uh, efficiently. Um, we we know we we have uh, more um, as you know things have slowed down, but as we continue to move forward, we're optimistic that you know that will level out and uh, we'll we'll be matching to to that that inflow and demand. And it's it's not linear. We take more in earlier in the year to prepare for. Um, where we have uh, stronger growth typically in second and third quarter. So, you know, the overlay of, uh, of, of the slowdown in demand here in Q3 did, did cause uh, some growth in that inventory level, but it's something we're uh, comfortable with. We continue to look at and, and make sure we have, uh, you know, current inventory and it's, it's the right inventory. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Our next question or comment comes from the line of John Bumgardner from Wells Fargo. Your line is open. Good afternoon. Thanks for the question. Um, yeah, I want to come back to the, the consumer stockpiling um, and what sort of changed relative to your outlook from August. Because, you know, I guess presumably consumption is expandable here given the low starting base. You have the overlap with grilling season and then also the work from home which could also be a tailwind for demand. So it's like a pretty solid backdrop. I mean, are you just not seeing consumption intensity progress in line with your expectations? And then I guess, you know, how are you thinking about how quickly dietary habits can shift here in the short term for that marginal buyer to, you know, sustain these growth rates? Thank you. Yeah, no, sure. So, so um, you know, as, as we, we talked about in the second quarter call, we saw this 195% increase in shipments uh, occur throughout the second quarter uh, relative to 121% increase in uh, our sales, according to SPINs and IR panel data. And, uh, you know, at, at the time we attributed, which actually turned out to be right, uh, most of that to club and then to some, some also some very late shipments in, uh, of, our, of our cookout classic that, that weren't caught in that consumption data because of the, the cutoff date. Um, uh, so, so there was just a tremendous amount of buying that was going on by the consumer in the second quarter. And then if you think about the stay-at-home orders relaxing uh, and people going back into food service where people were getting, you know, buckets of KFC and, and, and other uh, large strategic quick-serve restaurant offerings, uh, and we weren't really participating in that because of streamlining of their menus, our food service was coming more from that, uh, other two thirds, institutional, et cetera, uh, and smaller, smaller uh, um, uh, 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 restaurants, as well as you know, think about lodging and casinos and recreational centers, stuff like that. So we just didn't participate in that. So the consumption went into another category where we weren't really being well represented, and that was what caused, in our view, that the, the um, sequential uh, deceleration in, in retail buying. Um, but you can't get around, uh, in my view. Uh, these very strong numbers um, to make a case, for example, that somehow dietary changes are occurring, that would run um, in the face of uh, you know, household penetration rising, repeat rates rising, purchase frequency rising, and then, of course, every buyer is buying more uh, per household. So uh, all the right trends are here. Uh, again, I think we went from $113 million in net, which is a record quarter for us in the company's history, to $94 million in net during a pandemic. And we feel okay about that. It's one of the reasons that I, I did not 
do anything to disrupt the investments we're making in long-term infrastructure, whether it's in China with a new plant or EU with our new plant where we literally bought and, and put into to play uh, or, or leased and, and bought in one case, put into play new facilities and put new work, workers on the ground there and new personnel and leadership, et cetera, um, we're not slowing down. Uh, because while we don't think the models were adjusted properly because we can't provide guidance, uh, we, 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 we don't think that this was a, a massive step backwards by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, it was all still pretty strong quarter for us relative to what's going on in the world. So I wouldn't point to a dietary change. Uh, I think if there is a change in diet, it's more and more people are coming into this space, particularly young people. If you look at some of the most recent data around um, Generation Z and and, uh, and and their their enthusiasm for plant-based eating and for the brand, uh, we continue to see enormous upside uh, in consumer behavior. Great. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Our next question or comment comes from the line of Michael Leverly from Piper Stanley. Your line is open. Thank you. Good evening. When you look at your um, outlets internationally and, and U.S. And, and sales per outlet, um, on the food service side, they don't look very different, but on the retail side, it looks like the U.S. is, is significantly higher. The Canada reclass could throw some of the comparisons a little bit, but it's, it's maybe even ten times what they are outside the U.S. How should we think about what drives some of that? Is, is it number of facings? Is, is it just some consumer preferences or, or lack of awareness? How does the international piece of retail evolve, and, and what should we expect there? Uh, no, thanks for the question, and, and you know, this is an area that I, I look uh, very optimistically toward. Um, it's so early in, in our, uh, you know, I think we're in 80 countries now, but, but that is truly scratching the surface, and so if you think about um, our sales team here and our broker network and, and all the relationships we have with, you know, whether it's Costco or Kroger or Whole Foods, uh, we're still building those uh, globally. And, and so I think that is really what is uh, speaking out in those numbers is that we just don't have a mature uh, uh, sales organization globally yet. Um, that is something that you'll see us investing in and we have been investing in. We, we just hired some uh, sales team, uh, we put together a sales team in China as an example, um, and, uh, and I think hired, uh, for competitive reasons, won't share the number, but hired some additional staff in, um, in, in the EU. Um, so uh, to me, it gets down to just, uh, let's test the market, let's make sure we, we understand it, let's make sure we make the right hires in terms of relationships, uh, and let's go for it. And that's kind of happening now, and I think you'll see uh, the retail outlets grow substantially. I mean, in the, in the last quarter, though, I think we were at, started at 27,000 uh, in, in retail outlets, and we're now up at 33,000 uh, uh, internationally. So, so, so feel pretty good about that. And what, so, if if you see the outlet number growing, but the sales not really following that, are, are there other measures internationally you focus on in terms of how you gauge early or preliminary success? Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons that it's not as, as I mean, we, we're not putting that many new SKUs also into into each of those uh, new stores that are coming online. So I think we just got to get the opportunity for us to build out our our brand portfolio in those aisles, uh, and you'll start to see those those sales uh, rise. Um, but overall, we we look at the same metric: you know, how our how our sales grow uh, uh, year over year, uh, whether it's domestic or or international. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you. Our next question or comment comes from the line of Bill Kalal from Baird. Your line is open. Hey, it's Ben here. Uh, thanks, guys. Um, sure. I, I wanted to talk about just uh, your capacity. You, know, you talked about you know, $1 billion ending the year. Uh, you mentioned the second phase of China. Um, could you talk about you know what the second phase does, and then you know I guess the worry is obviously right now is, is demand and you know how you flex that um, uh, uh, that capacity going forward based on on what you're seeing out there. And then my second question is just on on your visibility because um, I think that you know the, the stocks telling us that uh, we were all surprised by this and. Um, can you just remind us about you know, your level of visibility going forward and across all channels? Thanks. So, um, so could you repeat that last part? I, just, I didn't. I didn't catch the last uh, part of your question. Just your uh, visibility on, on across channels. Across channels. For yeah, yeah, I mean, from, I think yeah, yeah we're looking sure, sorry. Yeah, um, you know, I, I think it, it's the same. We're very cautious against, uh, you know, cautious with regard to, to offering uh, to new, new new guidance. Um, I, I continue to look though at some of the um, the data that we're seeing, uh, both in the food service and, and retail sector, that it, that is uh, positive. Um, as well as some of the pending launches that, that you guys will be hearing about pretty soon. Um, and so it, it, it just all gets back to the same central point. You know, at, at, at what point as an economy uh, can we say uh, that, you know, COVID is, 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 is under control or behind us? Until that point, I think we can't offer uh, much, much guidance on, on either retail or, or food service. Well, I guess my bigger question was just on your capacity build-out. Um, and, you know, you, you, you talked about a billion dollars exiting the year. Um, and then the next China phase, you talked about uh, the EU, um, uh, the Dutch uh, capacity. But I, I want to understand what the, the next phase of China brings you up to in revenue. And then I want to understand how much that impacts your margin if you can't fill that capacity. Right. Um, so you know, we, we can't give guidance specific to to China, but I think you can see the amount of investment we're making there in, in energy and, and focus. Um, and on the, the the capacity that we have itself, it's it's you know a lot of the the work we've done to secure, for example, pea protein. We feel good about that uh, because of the the shelf life of that of that ingredient. Um, you know, it, it's not something that we have to consume uh, right away. Um, but we, we don't have any reason to pull our more optimistic long-term growth projections. We want to make sure that we have the capacity in place to, to be able to serve those. And so that's really what the capacity is about. It's not a commitment to the markets that we're going to hit that on any given date. Uh, but we, we are prepared to do it and, and have the, um, both the supply contracts in place uh, as well as the capacity now. Uh, so that when the economy does recover from COVID, we're able to resume the higher levels of growth that we've seen in the past. I don't know, Mark, if you want to add to that? No, I think that's right. And, and you know, specifically in, in China, that's, that's capacity for uh, a new market for us. And so the expectation is that matches as uh, that, that volume grows in region, that that capacity is there to serve it. So, um, and, the, and the same with the European facility. Uh, designed the same way to really match the growth in those regions 
uh, so we're not shipping product from uh, the U.S. into Europe or uh, to, to uh, Asia, that that product is, is produced in region. And we, we expect you know, that will be beneficial from a supply chain perspective as well as ultimately uh, get us to, to better price points uh, for product produced in region. I guess uh, uh, just on the margin front, though, if you build that capacity out and you can't sell it, uh, how do we think about how that impacts your margin? Well, I mean, certainly it's the, the plan is to, is to match that capacity with uh, the, the growth in those regions. So we will continue to, uh, to drive to, to make sure that that capacity is online when we need it. Um, you know, it's still, you know, there, uh, we're just working towards a, a, a good matching of those two as those facilities come up. Yeah, I mean, and if you look at, you know, some of the activities even during this COVID period, um, you know, whether it's, you know, KFC in China where we went into 210 restaurants, Starbucks in Taiwan, uh, Starbucks in, in Thailand, mentioned the Puerto Rico uh, Pizza Hut in Belgium, Puerto Rico uh, Pizza Hut as, as well. Um, you know, we don't see any reason to not continue on the path that we have put forward around growth. And uh, there's a transitory environment uh, with respect to the pandemic. As I mentioned in my comments, our growth path, I think, is enduring. And so, you know, if we have to have higher absorption because we didn't time it exactly right, that's fine. We're not building this business quarter by quarter. We're building it for many, many years. And so, um, you know, we'll, we'll keep making that investment. And if, if for some reason it doesn't time exactly with the way that, that, that our growth unfolds, uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be okay with that. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes our Q&A session. I'd like to turn the conference over back over to management for any closing remarks. So I uh, just wanted to thank everybody for, for calling in and, and appreciate uh, the great questions. Um, let's, uh, as we head into holiday season, let's all be safe, and, and we look forward to talking to you uh, again next quarter. Thanks very much. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for participating in today's conference. This concludes the program. You may now disconnect. Everyone, have a wonderful day.